Hello, my fellow lords and ladies, and welcome, welcome again to the Console Kingdom. My name is Jared. And I am Lord Dan. And today we have a very, very exciting and fun episode for you guys. Dan, I have this topic of conversation that has come up in my head, um, and I really, really wanted to cover this. So basically, my thought is, and I've been doing a lot of different gaming and different styles of gaming lately, um, from RPGs to platformers to massive open world stories, and I've come to the conclusion that right now, Hollywood as a film industry cannot produce a movie with the kind of quality and caliber that they do in the gaming industry. And I'm really looking forward to debating this with you and talking about this with you today because, honestly, I just don't see Hollywood stacking up in, in a lot of different categories. Wait a minute, Jared. That's not what you said when you first brought up this topic. You said... You said something a little bit different. You said that next to video games that Hollywood films are garbage. And that was coming oh, in hot. Oh, yeah. That was coming in real hot. Let's, yeah, that's coming in real hot. I mean, whew, that's a big one. I mean, look, the film industry has obviously been around for, it's got to be over 100 years at this point, and has produced some of the greatest stories, I think, that have ever been told. And, man, I am a video game lover. I love video games. I've been playing my entire life. Um, I don't know, man. That is a heck of a fight to want to battle. Uh, you have to make you have to make a real strong case on that one. I, I, I really do, but I honestly do think that the current, the current, okay. So, so I, I get that the past, Hollywood's past, has been phenomenal and has had a lot of great stories. But the current Hollywood is garbage, and I'll tell you why. I will tell you why, and I will also show you my opinion why I think that the video game industry is swinging for the fences and Hollywood can't keep up. So, <clears throat> while I get into this, I want to say, Dan, now think about this, this question that I have for you, okay? I want you to consider this. In the recent past, okay, I want you to eliminate movies that have been done before. So let's say a remake or a sequel. Okay. Um, and, and basically look at it as an original film. Okay. So I'm, I'm taking out Ghostbusters Afterlife. I'm taking out like Spider-Man No Way Home. And I'm taking out some of these superhero movies that have sequels or continuing stories. Um, but as far as original films like maybe just a one-off and i want to ask you when is the last time that you saw a one-off film that you said more than just eh it was okay yeah you know what that's a pretty good pointed question and if i'm going to be honest i think most of the movies now that really sort of are going to blow you away you're not going to see them in a movie theater. You know, everything's kind of going straight to streaming right now. But, uh, you know, I saw the Batman and the Batman got some pretty good, you know, pretty good reviews for the most part. I thought it was pretty good, but um, I also thought it was kind of dumb <laughs> in a lot of ways, too. That's probably the last movie that I saw that was, you know, really uh, a spectacle, though, like really something that made me want to go to the movie. And theater. let me let me. And, and just throw a little shade your way here a minute. Yes. Okay. I can see that. However, Batman's been done before. Okay. Uh, we've had 19, 1980s True. Michael Keaton Batman. We've had Christian Bale as Batman. We've had, uh, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, but we had uh, the one guy as Batman <laughs> that played Daredevil. I think it was the guy that played Daredevil. Anyway. Affleck, yeah. Affleck. Affleck, Batfleck, yes, that. We've had George Clooney as Batman. We've had so many. So you're 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 saying like, you're saying like, what are the what are the new ideas? In yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. Okay, so like, um, 
let's let's bring our wives into this for a minute, okay? Because if if your wife is anything like mine, she loves the notebook, okay? And that was an original film. Um, that was an original movie. That okay. was an original idea, right? It was based off a book, but it was an only film. It wasn't the notebook part five. The the point where Ryan becomes okay. this, or you know what I mean? It was the notebook, okay? And you know, or you look at a film like you know, hmm, I'm trying to think of another example of this. That's not a sequel, not a prequel. That's just a one-off. That was actually really okay. Titanic back in 1997, huge hit, massive hit. But it, but there's never going to be a Titanic two. Right. What is going to be? What, what would that be? Titanic two, the ghost ship returns. I mean, come on, this ain't Ghostbusters from 1980 something. You know where they pull Ghostbusters two, where they pull into right, the harbor. So I guess. So I guess what you're what you're really trying to say is that there's really nothing nothing original coming out of Hollywood anymore, and that there really hasn't been for a long time. Is that kind of the point that you're driving at? Absolutely, absolutely. Because I mean, I I mostly can agree with I mean I mostly can agree with that statement because you're right. There is a lot of that going on in Hollywood. We have a lot of sequels, we have a lot of remakes, you know, and a lot of kind of feel good revisiting of old ideas, right? Like Ghostbusters Afterlife, you mentioned, was wonderful. But it was largely wonderful because it was capitalizing on an existing franchise, an existing intellectual property. So I get where you're coming from there. And of course, we have our crop of superhero movies that are constantly being churned out, uh, which are very much, you know, um, Martin Scorsese called them like the theme parks of, of movies. They're not really cinema. They're just kind of these mass-produced, mass-appeal sort of movies. So I kind of get the uh, the idea there. Most of what I've seen... In, in terms of movies that has been like interesting and novel has been usually like on Netflix because most of the movies seem to come out right on Netflix. Yeah, nowadays. absolutely. Um, like Bird Box comes to mind, you know. Uh, yeah, so Bird Box comes to mind and um, A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place comes to mind too. And, um, you know, there's quite a few like indie movies and stuff that I really enjoyed. But I... I but those aren't the movies that are coming out of the big blockbuster Hollywood studios. Those are coming out of much smaller studios and producers. So, yeah, I guess I guess I kind of take your point that there's really not much original in Hollywood at this point. Yeah, uh, remakes after remakes and, and, of course, sequels. But then, so, all right, so if, if you're saying that there's not much original coming out of Hollywood anymore, then what's so original coming out of the world? Well, of I'm glad you asked that question. But before we get to that, I have to ask you one bird box what what is this a mocking bird that's uh learned how to beatbox and uh they, they do some kind of hip-hop rap style movie or, or or what you know you can't tell me you didn't watch bird box i actually haven't you, you didn't watch bird i did box. not was sandra bullock bullocksies she's she... nope it's a good movie yeah bird box came out a few years ago basically it's it's like a like a thriller, and the entire premise is that there are these. Is that the one with the blindfolds? Yes, there are these unseeable forces. Well, I think the people in the movie can can see them, but like the viewer never sees them, which I think is a great tactic to keep something scary. But that's besides the point. But um, whenever people see them in the in the movie, they like lose their minds or they die. Okay. Uh, they like lose gotcha. their minds and kill themselves or whatever. And uh, so everybody is running around with blindfolds trying to escape this. And, you know, uh, Bullock Seas has her blindfold on and she's trying to uh, stay away. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice. Cause it's good because it's something where they take uh, a unique idea and build a story about a unique idea. And I'm pretty sure it was based on a book. And I'm actually really... But it's, yeah, it's a unique idea. Yeah, and I'm actually really glad that, that we, we discussed that because that leads into my point here. And you asked me previously... Same thing with A Quiet Place, though. It was the same kind of, same kind of idea. Yeah. Um, you asked me previously uh, what's new in the video game industry, and I'm really glad you asked. You see, in the year 2020, we had a Star Wars game called... Star Wars Fallen Order 
um, Jedi Fallen Order. It was second best in sales for the year, uh, only behind Modern Warfare, I do believe. And also, what's interesting about that game is I would argue, and believe me, Star Wars fans, stay tuned. I've, uh, we are going to do a Star Wars episode about Star Wars games much later on down the road, but for now, we're just going to talk briefly about this. The Fallen Order, I believe, had a better story than any of the sequels. It was better written. It had more lovable characters. It had a plot that sucked you in instead of just kind of pissed you off. You know, um, and I, I know there's going to be a few people that will argue that The Last Jedi was better than what it seemed like. But man, did that make me upset. Um, I know you don't know a whole lot about Star Wars movies. Um, aside from a few that you've seen, which is okay. I am fine with that. Uh, not everybody's a fan, and I respect that. But uh, for me, I was a Star Wars super fan, and honestly, Fallen Order in the year 2020 was quite possibly the best Star Wars game we have ever gotten. As an open-world game, it was on par with things like The Mandalorian, uh, Kenobi, some of the new Star Wars stuff that hasn't been tainted by, like, say, Kennedy, Kathleen Kennedy, and so, yeah. So hold on, hold up a second, hold up a second. So you're you're saying there's nothing new and original in Hollywood. So I ask you, what's new in video games? And your example is Star Wars. I can see your point to that. That was my first example. I, I haven't gotten to my next ones yet, <laughs> but I see where you're coming cause, from. Because I know you were saying no, no sequels and it's been done before. I don't think anything's been done before as much as Star Wars has been done before. Like there are entire novel series that are like the, how many hundreds of Star Wars books are there and spinoffs and games. And there have been Star Wars games since like the computers in the 80s. There's, there were, like, all these uh, space sim flying X-Wing TIE Fighter games in the 90s. Like, that, you're going to, oh, yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that, Dan. The best thing, uh, the best original thing in video games is Star Wars. Now, you're going to have to come up with something better. I absolutely will, but you got to understand, I did not say it was the best thing. But, you know, I will say it is a thing. It is a thing. But I will take I will take my licks but then, here. Look, but look, but if you can if you can make that point, if you can make that point, then you can't say like, oh well, you know, you can't talk about sequels and 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 spinoffs and like remakes because well, yeah, you can because that's what you're talking about for your video game example. But 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 go on, let's 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 put the kibosh on uh, on that conversation because that one's already the the coffin lid already got done closed on that. So what else you got for me? Jeff? All right, all right, ladies and gentlemen, point for Dan on that one. Got, got to give props where it's due. But anyway, so, yes, I <laughs> I did kind of contradict myself a little bit there, and I, oh, I will hey Jared, definitely own hey that. Hey, Jared, do, do you remember – Jared, do you remember the Super Star Wars games on Super Nintendo? Absolutely. Some of the best Super uh, – best Star Wars games on the console and in the series. They were so hard, though. They were so ridiculously hard. Yeah. I, I could I could give you that. They were very difficult. I, never, like, I don't think I ever played anything harder than like Super Empire Strikes Back. That game was ridiculous. The uh couldn't even get past the first lightsaber level. spin is so much fun. Oh, the lightsaber spin is so much fun. That's true. But regardless of that the lightsaber spin is regardless fun. of that, I wanted to bring up actually a game that I just recently played. And um I played a game called The Ghost of Shusi I can speak, I promise. The Ghost of Tsushima. Um, and let me tell you something. This, yes, you could very well argue that samurai games have been done before to death. It's It's been in movies. It's, it's, it's not original. However, Sucker Punch Entertainment developed an original story based on historic fiction. It's a historical fiction based on a true events. When the Mongols invaded Japan and the samurai of Japan Tsushima to fight the invaders and fight for their homeland and it is one of those games that 
one thing that I'm going to bring up in just a moment is one of those games that it draws you in, and I'll I'll explain more on that in a minute. But more so, not only does it draw you in, it's got incredible character development. It is beautiful. The world they created is almost like you stepped back in time and set foot in Tsushima, Japan during that time period. It is incredible. It is so beautiful. And the story, the characters are lovable. It's it's amazing. So, but what I was referring to a moment ago, and this is something I really want to get into, because, Dan, we discussed this a while back, and I want to ask you, about how much do you think it would be to go on a date with your wife with dinner, a movie, your snacks, your drinks, everything like that. How much do you think that would cost? I mean, I can tell you how much it would cost because, you know, we've done that not that long ago. But, I mean, let's not even talk about dinner and drinks and stuff because that's not really part of what you're paying for. The, I, I get what you're driving at. But that's not really part of what you're paying for for the movie experience, right? Uh, so breaking it down just for the movie experience alone, we're talking about how much that's going to cost. And yeah, movie tickets have gotten pretty expensive. Like, I don't know what they charge to go see a movie out in the boonies over by you. I don't know, like like a nickel and a shoeshine. But over here, um, I think movie tickets are like th- like, like 25, 30 bucks now. <laughs> one, t- one, one movie ticket is like 30 bucks now. Okay. Yeah, by us, I don't know. Because I typically don't go see movies in the theater unless it's a very rare occasion. Um, but, but my point, well, that's kind of part, part, part of what that kind of ties in what we're talking about, I think a little bit too, right? Because when, when you talk about that, like who goes to the movies anymore, people don't really go that much anymore. And, um, I kind of think that the quality of what's coming out now is reflective of that, right? Because yeah. you're not going to spend a whole lot of money cr- producing movies to get people to the movie theater if they're just not gonna go right and i do believe that is very much the case but what i'm driving at here is okay so you know you're talking 30 bucks a person okay and that's high end okay so uh between the two of you 60 bucks the ghost of tsushima for playstation 4 the base game with the dlc and everything involved with it because the dlc is free it Oh, well, mostly free. There was, I think I had to pay some for some DLC, but I don't remember how much it was. I think it's 15, 16 bucks. So I'm guessing total for everything unlocked and good to go on Ghost of Tsushima, I think I, I paid 40 bucks. Okay. And so that's $10 more than a movie that's ticket a for close to 80 to a hundred hours of entertainment depending on if you go for 100 percent or not if you don't go for a hundred percent it's still a probably 40 to 60 hour game as opposed to a two and a half hour movie that leaves you high and dry yeah but you know i gotta tell you something jared there are a few things that i think you're not really taking into account right so if you go to see a movie you're getting an experience. So you're not just getting that 90 minutes or that 120 minutes of entertainment. You're getting the experience of going out for one thing, getting out of the house, which by itself, especially when you have kids, is kind of nice. Unless you're bringing the kids to the movie with you. And that's a whole other ball kind game of scenario. Yeah. Uh, we could talk more about that, you know. But, uh, you know, depending on the theater, too, I mean, nowadays movie theaters are kind of, they're really kind of stepping up their game because they have to to stay in business. But that $30 movie ticket I was talking about, it gets you a com- a seat that is probably more comfortable than your own couch at home. <laughs> nowadays, anyway. I know not always, but a lot of times nowadays, yeah, the theaters have really nice recliners and stuff. It's pretty cool. You get surround sound. You get, uh, usually they have like, you know, subwoofers and amplified speakers in the ground. So the whole theater sounds like it's shaking when there's an action scene. And, you know, the, the spaceship is lifting off or whatever you got going on. And, um, you know, you've got a screen that is, you know, 120 feet wide or whatever it is, you know. Uh, and then, of course, you know, if you have, like, for example, uh, I know three some movies are still 3D, right? That's another thing, 3D movies. Is that still a thing, 3D movies? I don't think so. I don't know, but IMAX, there's IMAX, which is, like, 
Yeah. The, the IMAX, though. So, I mean, when you buy that movie ticket, you are you are paying for an experience. And it may be, in many cases, a one-time experience. But now, if you wanted to replicate that experience at home, you would have to be doing that by purchasing very expensive furniture and a very expensive home audio system, which would wind up costing you significantly more than you would spend on going to the movies. <laughs> and I get it. I get it. I go to a con- I go to concerts, man. I go to concerts for the experience. I go to concerts, and I still enjoy the music at home, but I, I completely understand where you're coming from because you do get that live experience. But let's be honest here. When we have inflation the way it is and i don't want to get too political uh, about this and i'm just going to make this very brief but when we have inflation the way it is you have to kind of pick and choose what uh what you decide to do with your your little the little extra that you may have and you know i'd rather invest it in something that may not be an experience but gives me far more entertainment value over the length, say, a movie and going for the ambiance. You know, and I would say, you know, I would compare it kind of, right? Buying a game, I would compare it to buying like a Blu-ray or a DVD. But like, do people even buy those anymore? Because like I have, I have, Jared, probably about a hundred like blu-ray and dvd movies maybe like it's got to be like I there's a lot there's there's tons of them i have several of them that have never been unwrapped like i've never opened them and like, I'm i glad- bought them because i wanted to have them for my collection and i've never actually cracked them open and open. watched the movie because they're collectibles because most of the time not just that they're collectibles but because most of the time like most of the movies that you're going to want to watch, you can watch on one or another streaming service. Exactly. And that I'm very glad that you brought that up um, because, so ladies and gentlemen, I want you to stay tuned because uh, later on, because that's a conversation that I'm looking forward to doing as well, is <clears throat> uh, hard copy games versus digital games and where the industry is headed. And I think that'll be really fun to discuss. But getting back to what I was trying to get at is, okay, so you've got The Ghost of Tsushima. You've got games like Halo Infinite. And there's been so many games that, yes, I get their spinoff games and things like that. Um, but as far as storytelling goes, this is my one of my main points that I want to make is that for storytelling plot, world development, character development. I just don't see it in Hollywood films right now. Yeah, okay, I will give you Netflix. I will give you streaming. I'll even give you TV shows because TV shows are better than Hollywood movies right now. I can think of a number of shows off the top of my head. Yeah, you know, Jared, I think that when it comes to the production of of uh, I do I want to say cinema here or film or you do I even want to say is it even Hollywood? I don't even know if it's even Hollywood anymore because it's it's changed so much with the advent of streaming services, Netflix, everything like that. But yeah, I think the the series that they produce, Netflix in particular, I think has the most like bangers when it comes to series, is probably better than than what's playing in the film and you know what's playing in the movie theater. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's I think that's to my my point here is that you take a game like Ghost of Tsushima, right? And you follow Jin Sakai. He's your main character. And bit by bit, you learn more about him through the various missions and stories that you can do. You learn about his past, his current situation. You learn about decisions he has to make that are incredibly difficult for him to do so. I'm trying to kind of tiptoe around this uh, to avoid any potential spoilers. Um, This was not the spoiler conversation I was going to have, but uh, that's coming up. Stay tuned for that. But as far as this goes, you know, Jin Sakai, you follow him, and they build not just him as a character, but an entire world around his story and i and i and this is one of the reasons why i thought of this topic because i i it after i beat this game after i beat the ghost of tsushima and i i turned 
uh, uh, to my wife and I said, this is kind of one of the best games I have played in quite a long time. Like, quite a long time. And, so and it made... I haven't played it, Jared. Uh, I haven't played this game, Jared. Is, is Jin Sakai, is that the sushi ghost? <laughs> sushi ghost, yes. Absolutely. Something's fishy with it. Anyway, bad dad joke. That was aside. that was that was a <laughs> that was a sushi grade dad joke. Yes, absolutely. Anyway, <laughs> anyway, that was bad. <laughs> that was that was hysterically bad. And <laughs> and while you while you stop your eyes from rolling all over the place, um, <laughs> I uh, I but Jin Sakai is your main character. Look, that's and that's the way we do it here in the console kingdom. We like it raw. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, I had to get one more in there. You know, and uh, it's how we roll. Yes, it's how we roll. <laughs> well, you know, it's how we see we roll. See, that was too far. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. It, well, it is Japanese, so, you know. It's far. It was a joke there is that it's far away. I don't. But, okay, go go ahead. Yeah, it, it, sushi Wait, we, is, we, was invented in Japan. Did but, we have? Did, you know. Were we going somewhere with the with the conversation, or, or are we just making dad jokes now? Because I forgot. Yeah, I don't know. I forgot. No. Um. So you know, I I what I was getting into, what I was getting into <laughs> before we got off in this tangent here was that uh, I uh, I wanted to to comment about the world building and the plot. I mean. When is the last time, and this is what the question I asked myself after I got done beating this game, is when is the last time I saw a film that came anywhere near as close to this as what this game was? And I honestly could not answer. I, I couldn't think of anything that thrilled me to the point that Ghost of Tsushima did. Man, like now, well, now I'm kind of depressed because I'm trying to think of, of of a movie that had that sort of magnitude, right? And I'm kind of having some trouble really thinking of anything recent. Whenever I'm, whatever, everything I'm thinking of is like ten years old or more. And that's where I was too, and that's kind of why I thought about it, you know. And so. It's one of those things Man. that's really strange, you know. It's like Hollywood step up. Here we game. are in twenty twenty two, and yeah, definitely. I mean, twenty twelve is ten years ago. Okay, twenty ten is is twelve years ago, and like, I think then like I just around that time I, I'm thinking I, like. Yeah, like around that time, I'm thinking about like, um, like, like, like the Frank Miller movies, right? Like Sin City, and I'm thinking about um, 300. I'm thinking about, uh, I'm thinking about like Zack Snyder, and I'm thinking about like Sucker Punch, and um, what was that other Zack Snyder movie that that uh, he had a he had a bunch of uh, Watchmen, right? Yeah, he had a bunch of like amazing Watchmen, movies, like... yes, and then. And 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 Christopher Nolan with the Batman Begins. I mean, Christopher uh, series. The way that Christopher Nolan was around yeah, that time, like that universe that he created was phenomenal, out of this world. Like, um, I know it's a musical, but like Repo, the genetic opera, comes to mind. Just these great worlds that were being created, and um, stories being told that were interesting and exciting and compelling, and weren't kind of just the same story being told over and over. But again, I, I don't know about that because isn't every story kind of – it seems like everything's already been told. What you're talking about with Ghost of Tsushima, though, like that, that, that does kind of sound like it's something that – yes, it's a, it's a historical narrative, obviously fictionalized. I assume there's you know, a lot of elements of drama and fiction that were added to that, like whether this Jin Sekai person Liberties. actually existed or was quite the person he is in the game. I, I, I don't know. Is it like a, the Patriot situation? Where like Mel Gibson's character is some sort of like revolutionary war super ninja, and like obviously that no such person ever existed, or or, or is it more like Jin Sakai was actually a real person, and you're and you're following actual events that occurred in his life that are maybe a little bit more dramatic? Is it that kind of situation? 
I saw that it was more historically accurate to the invasion and the samurai and their story, but as far as Jin Sakai, it's more like the Patriot, uh, where he's some super ninja that's a total badass and just is amazing. So the su- the sushi se- the shoes the so the sushi chef himself actually may not have really been a real person. Absolutely. Okay. So, but Dan, I want to pose. I want to pause here for a minute, and I want to take a moment and talk to our listeners and as and you as well. We have talked about the very, very good in video games. We love talking about the good in video games, but we also know that there's some very bad in video games. Oh, there's there's probably more bad games than there are good ones. However, it got me to thinking of a question that I want to ask you, Dan. I want to get your opinion. And listeners, I also would love to get your opinion on our Facebook page, uh, on our YouTube comments, anywhere that you have us on social media. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this. Dan, we're talking about films. We're talking about video games. Okay? My question to you tonight is, what is the room of video games? Uh, and what I say cool by question. the room, I mean a, a movie, a movie that is so bad, it's good. And it became a cult classic. Oh, man. So it's 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 so hard to pin this down because when you play a video game like if the if the gameplay is bad you're going to stop playing pretty much right away like no one's going to endure bad gameplay because everything else about the game is so bizarre or interesting or weird that it actually makes it unintentionally fun like i've never played a game where the controls were so bad that they were accidentally good you know what i mean uh yeah but you know what I think I might have a game that I'm actually working on a video for my YouTube channel on right now that kind of fits the criteria of a story that's so bad it's good. Uh, And that is is Rumble Roses. Have you ever heard of Rumble Roses before? I have not. Okay, so this might be a so bad it's good kind of a storyline because... The entire purpose of Rumble Roses is basically that Konami wanted to see how realistic a female character model they could make. And this was made for the PlayStation 2, so we can kind of date it a little bit. So they wanted to try and make the most realistic female character models possible. Uh, And they were trying to figure out what's the best kind of game to, to, to do this in. And they eventually settled on a wrestling game. Now... Rumble Roses was basically the only wrestling game on the PS2 that wasn't like a WWE licensed game, which is actually the only reason why I even know it exists was because I just wanted to play a wrestling game that wasn't a WWE game. And my goodness, was I ever um, surprised by what I got. So where, where this is all kind of going is it is an all-female wrestling league. Now, the storyline, okay. the plot is that a mad scientist a mad scientist has put together a wrestling a tournament mad... to what end so she can collect dna from okay. the wrestlers in order to create a super soldier Okay, okay. So it's kind of it hmm. Well, that's huh. You know, not a lot of times I hear a plot of a video game that makes me scratch my head and say, "Huh. I don't even know no I don't even know what to say here to that." But then it's accidentally actually kind of good because there are two really sympathetic characters who are sisters and the super soldier that is being built is like in the body of their mother (laughs) okay (laughs) 
but it's accidentally good because the gameplay is actually fun. Like the whole game is basically supposed to be for the whole purpose of, you know, look, boobs. That, that's what the game is. But the actual like gameplay is actually pretty fun. Like it has very consistent controls. Um, you can have a pretty good idea about what's going to happen when you press any given combination of buttons. It all feels natural. It feels fluid. It's fast. The action is uh, very fast paced. It's easy to pick up. It's very easy to play. Um, you know, it's a very player friendly experience. There are reversals. There are all kinds of different wrestling moves that you can do all over the ring. You can do moves with the ropes, off the ropes, outside the ring, into the ring, out of the ring. Uh, you know, takedowns, grapples, suplexes, body slams, all that kind of stuff. Elbow drops, all those things are in the game. You can do all that stuff. And the game is actually kind of a lot of fun. Okay, okay. Now, I wanted to take my pick and make it a little bit more room-esque. As in, the room had some very confusing dialogue. Oh, yeah. And in such that it didn't quite make sense but it made sense i guess uh but so i was thinking about this and i i came up with zero wing okay okay the highly memed video game where the english is so bad it's actually funny but the game is actually decent it's it's fun it's a fun space shooter that is just from that era was actually really really good i did not set up us the bomb i did not oh hi zig i did oh hi zig yeah exactly all your base are now belong to us i mean it's it's one of those things that you know it's it's the it's the dialogue is is exactly what in my mind what makes it a room esque type of video game where, you know, because you got to think, Ghost and Goblins is one of those games that was really good. It was a very good Capcom game, but the ending left you high and dry with its English, right? Like, congratulations, you're a winner, or something like that. Oh, you feel strength well in your like, body, Danny. At the time, the <laughs> NES. Yeah, exactly. It, it's one of those. It's one of those NES things that you know. Great game, very little translation yes. effort. Um, and Strong actually, speaking of translation, we'll have more on that in Pro our uh, a winner is you. our coming episode. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. So it, it, it's one of those things that it's you know the the NES was known for, but like it, this was a Master System title. This was a Sega title. Sega was, at the time, really good at their text, their especially their English text in um actually in their arcade actually, games. So it was so. I'm gonna hit you with an actually. So Zero Wing started out as an arcade game. It's made by a a developer called Toplin, which I don't think exists in any form anymore. Okay. And the original arcade game did not contain any of that cutscene at all. Like it was, it was not there. It wasn't until it was ported to the Genesis, not the Master System, by the way, the Genesis. The Master System only has like six games. Okay. Uh, it was ported to the Genesis, and uh, that's where, for some reason, someone decided that it needed a storyline cutscene, and 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 then we have the 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 masterpiece of all your base are blown to us which is probably the first internet meme i ever latched onto back in the shockwave flash days <laughs> right right it was a long long time ago in a galaxy far far closer than you think ah oh. those times are so much simpler <laughs> yeah yeah i, I remember I remember hours a day. I remember wasting hours a day on Newgrounds. Newgrounds, albino black sheep. You know, playing and like games the web like, was, like uh, it was cool. you Meat could like Boy. surf the web. Yeah, like you could just like surf the web, and it was fun. Like now the internet kind of stinks. Like now the internet, there's like five websites that you go to, and social media really Pretty ruined much. everything. Kinda. Ugh. 
because social media ruined everything. By the way, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Discord. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Follow us, please. No. Um, but yeah, I wanted to talk about that. But I mean, I mean, they're all necessary evils at this point, right? Wait, 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 wait. But Jared, 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 Jared. But wait, Jared, there's Jared, more. Jared. Jared. Uh huh. If we're gonna talk about bad translations in games that were like unintentionally funny, dude, Resident Evil uh, on the the original Resident Evil on PlayStation. Oh my god. Like, Barry, what's this? Blood. <laughs> Blood. And 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 who? Who was it who was the master of unlocking? Was it Jill? Was Jill the master of unlocking? I, I thought so, yeah. Jill Valentine. And uh, and there's a point, I think it's only in the director's cut version. There's a there's like there's a scene, and I think it's with Barry again later in the game. And he's like, Okay, Jill, I'm gonna go outside and get eaten by a monster now. And then, then he just leaves. He just bye, see ya. No, I don't, and, I, I don't know why. <laughs> it's one of those things, man. But I wanted to get back after we had that little side discussion. I wanted to get back to something that I thought of that I also wanted to bring up to you. Um, and this kind of goes hand in hand with Hollywood and, and video games. Um, so this is where the spoiler kind of alert comes in. And I want to I wanna say this as a spoiler alert. Um, Metroid Dread has been out for quite a long time. So if you haven't played it yet, um, now would probably be a you know uh, just a good time to understand that I'm going to be talking about the game. Um, but <clears throat> Metroid Dread, right? Um, and this is something that got me to thinking that it would be perfect to discuss in this episode. One of the things that people hated about this game, okay? I mean, it, it was game of the year quality. It was everybody raved about the game. But there was this one overshadowing thing that people were always talking about. And Dan, I kind of wanted to get your opinion about, about is should video game characters feel emotion in regards to their story and character development? Because here's the thing. When Samus meets Quiet Robe... The Chozo that was actually her mother figure when Samus was growing up, there was no reaction. She sat down and listened to what Quiet Robe had to say. But other than that, there was no tears. There was no anything of value there. It was, it, And it was the first time that we as the player had seen Samus interact with her past. And there was zero, absolutely no emotion there. And people love to rip the game about that because they're like, well, Samus is, you know, back in Super Metroid, Samus was this, okay, uh, uh, the, go and save the universe as a one-man wrecking crew. Like, nobody can back you up. It's just you versus, and just go. And Samus was perceived as this amazing character, which I still believe in my mind she is. But as far as in Metroid Dread, which is supposed to be Metroid 5, and according to the uh, Wikipedia and Nintendo itself, it is Metroid 5, there's no emotion there. So my question is, should video game characters show emotion feel emotion and as a part of plot development. I mean, absolutely they should, of course. Of course they should. So the other thing that about me that you might not know is that I actually graduated college with a major in English literature. So like I studied stories, you know, uh I I, I, I am a lover of stories. I, I love all kinds of storytelling. I love books. I love movies. I love TV shows. I love video games. All kinds of storytelling. And one thing that you're going to find that's in common with, you know, pretty much every medium of storytelling is like 
one of the foundational principles of a story is that you have to have a protagonist that the audience can feel sympathetic toward. Absolutely. Now, when we talk a little bit about, if we go and we talk about like Super Nintendo era, 16-bit era, especially in a game like Metroid that was very much, you know, an exploration adventure type of a game that didn't have the capability to have a lot of storytelling happen within the game, then, you know, our expectation is a little bit different, right? Because it's an interactive medium for one thing. So there's already an expectation that there's not going to be a tremendous amount of story or character development. Uh, But that changed over time. And then, like you're saying now, that we have games that are telling better stories than Hollywood films, we got there through a progression. And over time, it became an expectation that we were going to get really good stories. So kind of taking that into account, I don't think you can fairly look at a character's behavior in a game released in 2021 or 2022 and compare it to that same character's behavior in a game that was released in 1994 or 1993. Because the ability to tell stories and to communicate that character have drastically changed. Drastically changed. Yeah, and I... I was Now, okay, we go also ahead. have to... Well, we also have to kind of take into account what kind of character Samus is. And is that in character for her? And you might be able to answer that question better than I can. Because I only played like, like Super Metroid, Metroid, Metroid um, Zero Mission... Metroid Fusion, and, and 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 a little bit of Dread. Like, I haven't played, like, I never played the Prime games. Um, I was kind of, like, out of Nintendo at that point. Uh, I, what was the other one? Like, Metroid Other M, I think, was another one. I never played that one. I never played any of those games be- between Super, well, Fusion probably is the last one, between Fusion and Dread. Yeah. Never played them. So for me, I don't know any of the any of the character or plot development that would have happened for Samus during that time. I have no idea who Samus is. Now, you might be able to answer that question better than I can. Would it be in character for Samus to have a strong reaction to 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 encountering her mother figure for the first time since she was a child? Or would it be in character for her to not have a reaction? Is she a very stoic person in general? Is it, uh, you know, is, is that typical for her? And see, that's tough because in my mind, I would say, yes, she should have had a reaction there. And I'll tell you why, because you saw, you played, you said you played Zero Mission. So you saw how at the end, uh, towards the end of the game, w- when you get your fully powered suit, that you saw the drawing on the wall with the Chozo with her hand in hand with Samus there. And... Samus had a strong reaction emotionally in for what it was in that scene on uh, Metroid Zero Mission. So you would consider that in Metroid Dread, when she returns to Mom, when she finds Mom again, that she would have the same type of emotional reaction. Now, I will say that with the Prime series, I hold that in kind of a different Metroid universe because it's it's not it hasn't screwed okay. up her backstory. Is it canonic, canonic, canonically, is it? It follows okay. the the basic um, lore of of Metroid. It gives you more insight into the Chozo and um, different. Part, portions of that but for the most part it's not on the main timeline as say you know metroid uh return of samus uh super metroid metroid fusion and then finally metroid dread um and zero mission was just the same as metroid the original metroid but just a port and made better Obviously, with the story yeah, elements yep, added. Yep. So, um, but, different timeline. I mean, I kind of have to ask the question, though. Like, I have to ask the question, though. The character like Samus, like, did, did she really even need that backstory? Because with the kind of game that the Metroid games are, it's really based on exploration and interactivity. And I thought, especially in the earlier games, it just kind of seemed like Samus was like a self-insertion character. Like, she didn't have to have... She doesn't interact with other characters during the game. She's totally isolated. She's only interacting with aliens. 
and the way in which she interacts with them is by shooting them. So it's not like there's any kind of, you know, character growth or dialogue there. I, did she even need this backstory? Like, what was the purpose this of is very giving good. her this backstory to begin with? How much have we explored the character yeah, and of this Sam is a very Zoran, good question how much do we need Because to? now you brought up something in my head that I'd like to address right now. And that question is, okay, that question is, are we spoiled? As gamers, are we spoiled to the point where we expect yeah. a story has to go with our favorite characters? Because, I mean, if you think about it, think about it this too. If you look way back into the Nintendo days, you got like like the Legend of Zelda, right? You play as Link, and what is Link? Link is just a little dude who walks around, and he shoots his little swords at everybody, and he gets the Triforce, and he saves the princess. And that's really the only story that it needed. It didn't need more story than that. And, of course, it expanded a little bit in the adventure of Link, and then things got kind of weird after that because the more games they released with the character in them, the more they felt like they had some kind of a duty to create a lore behind him. And that entire thing is a huge mess where eventually it became like, oh, well, see, that was a different Link. And there's been a different Link. And then and then thousands of years later, there was a different guy who was also called Link. And he did the thing. And the whole thing is a disaster. There, like, There's no canonical timeline for Zelda because it's impossible to make sense out of it. Because it didn't really need to be done. Like, the story that needed to be told in The Legend of Zelda was told. We didn't need to know who Link was, apart from that he was the hero who was going to right. rescue the princess. And, you know, it. but see, once again, that leads credence to the question, are we spoiled? Or, or do, we, do we, as gamers, do we feel like we need a story behind everything? Yeah. Which, you gotta think of it like this, you know? I, and I think I was going to say, as... you got to think of it like this, as far as as when things started changing after the 16 uh, bit era, when they were able to add more story and development and depth to characters and things like that. Have we been spoiled? And I think that answer is yes, because sometimes sometimes the simple stories are the best stories. I mean, so video games are an incredible storytelling medium, and they've grown into that role incredibly well. And it speaks to your point earlier when we started the episode that they have really become incredible at the job of telling a story. And there's just so much more that we can do with them, the technology, the, the, the length of time that you have to tell a story now. You can tell a story over the course of 60, 80, 100 hours, where in a movie you have about 90 minutes, maybe two hours, maybe two and a half if you're really big budget. So they've become really, really good at telling these stories. And I think we talked about this a little in our Final Fantasy episode, too, how, you know, the Final Fantasy games in the PlayStation era really started to kind of set the tone for, you know, we were going to do this kind of storytelling. Uh, and it became, you know, all over the industry you know, eventually we were telling these kinds of stories. But if we go back to when we were kids, the games we used to play then, and some of them, you know, if we're going to talk about like role-playing games and stuff or some adventure games, they had a lot of storytelling, and that's fantastic. But at the same time, we also had games that had very little storytelling, and they were also really, really great games. Like in the original Castlevania, all you had was you had Simon, you knew you, knew you had Simon Belmont, you knew he had to go dish defeat Dracula. And then there was another game, and then it was the same thing. It was like, okay, you have to go, you're Simon Belmont, and you have to go resurrect to Dracula to kill him again yep, because you're cursed. cursed. And it was like, okay, that's that's kind of weird, but yeah, sure, we can roll with that. And then like for the next one, they were like, oh, here's another guy. Oh, but he was born before Simon, and things started already getting kind of murky. Um, and then, you know, and then what eventually came out of that series was that they kept on releasing games and trying to like fit them in a timeline somewhere. And you can tell it was a really dodgy kind of thing that they were doing because it didn't ever, it never made that much sense. It was always like, oh, then there was this guy and he was, but he was before the, that guy and after this guy. And then, so take this guy and put him back a hundred years to this time period. The whole thing was a disaster. And then eventually they like rebooted no. with the Lords of Shadow nonsense and none of that yeah. made any sense. But that's a whole other conversation. 
So, you know, did we need more of a Castlevania story than, you know, oh, oh, Dracula's at right. it again. We better go kill him. Right. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know that we ever did. Like, like I mean, do we, like, uh, is there going to be like a Mega, is there going to be like a Mega Man game where he like has a romance angle? There probably has been already. There was like the, the that what that Zero Mission series. No. What was it called? Com- Command? I don't know. The Battle games, Network. There were some Mega Man RPGs that everyone forgot existed. Mega Man Battle but, Network. Uh, yeah, like we don't. We maybe. Yeah, maybe maybe we don't really need. Maybe not every game needs that much storytelling. Like I said, you know, I'm a lover of stories, uh, and I love experiencing those stories, which is why I love role playing games, and I love stories that you know, I love games that do have a story. But yeah, maybe maybe it's not always really necessary, and some things are better left up to yeah, the yeah. And I think that's just player. as important. And you know, going back to something you said in the beginning about um, a quiet place, I think I think it was a quiet place, and and even Bird Box, it made and it made me kind of think of yeah. Signs as well. Is when they use when the writer uses your own mind to create right. the monster or the enemy, or the alien, instead of showing it on screen, because it's way worse in your head than what they could show on the screen. And I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I think that maybe video games should kind of leave things to the imagination. of. I think that's hard to do in a game, though, because you have to confront the monster at some point. Like, did you ever play, for example, like Clock Tower 3? Clock Tower 3, I have not. So Clock Tower 3 was on PS2, and it might have been on, like, Xbox. Okay. So this was, I played, like, the first, like, maybe two hours of this game because this game completely shat the bed for me. Uh, It was a game where, it's a horror game. You know, it's like a horror survival game, and you play as a young girl who is escaping from a murderer. But this this murderer that you're, you're escaping from, you only ever see him in small glimpses because you're running away from him the entire time. So if you see him, you see him very quickly and you, and you run and you go hide and then you're like looking at him through like a grate or something. So you don't really see him too much. Uh Uh, And then when you do see him on screen, he's this big, scary hulking monster. And you know, the music gets very intense and you hear your character breathing heavily and it builds this suspense and this excitement for the player. And, um, it might not be exactly what we were talking about because you do see the monster, but like I said, you see him, you know, a little bit of time. Uh, but then at the end, all you do is you try to find clues to solve the mystery and escape from the killer until you find all the clues and figure out the mystery. Now, if that was the end of the stage, if, if figuring out, the, if solving the mystery was the end of the stage, I would have been happy and I would have loved to play the next stage. But this game did something that, to me, I thought was really, really stupid. And that is? It gave the main character a weapon. Okay. Which was a magical bow and arrow. Okay. That would, like, magically magically appear once the mystery had been solved for some plot-related reason. And then you actually had to fight the monster. And I thought that was terrible because I just spent this entire time, the last two hours, running away from this monster to solve the mystery... But now, because I found some clues and put together the mystery, now I'm able to fight him? Like, why was I scared of him if I could have just shot him with a magic arrow? It doesn't make sense. Right, right. Well, I mean... It's kind of the same way that I felt about... um, It's kind of the same way... The same way I felt about the movie Ring 2. Okay. Like, I thought the ring was awesome when I first saw it. Like, I thought that was a legitimately, legitimately scary movie. Because for most of the movie, you never saw Samara or Sadako, depending on which version you're watching. You never saw her, like, as a monster till the very end. And then um, when you finally saw her, like, they did a really great job of making her just intangible enough. Like, if the, if the victim has seen her, it's already too yeah. late. But then when they did the sequel, the, the, the U.S. sequel, not the, not the Japan sequel. The Japan sequel is good. And the U.S. sequel, they made her, like, way too real. Like, she was just kind of, like, walking into people's houses. Like, she's not scary if you can, like, punch her in the face. Right. Like, a monster is not scary if I can just square up. Like, a monster is not scary if I can just square up. So. Yep. Uh, I kind of went off my attention there. 
but <laughs> I kind of went off a little bit of a tangent there, but it's, it's an example of what we're talking about. It's an example of how letting the viewer or the player use their imagination can be more exciting, more compelling, in a horror setting more scary, in other settings maybe evoke other emotions or feelings than simply straight out showing them everything. Absolutely. Explaining everything for them. Absolutely. So like, let people come up with theories and have their own ideas. Yeah, I think that would that's always a good I- idea. It, it feels more compelling Sometimes. that way. Not always. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, wanted to kind of yeah. wrap things up to, uh, today and um, want to thank you guys for listening to the Console Kingdom podcast. Uh, you can find us on Facebook.com slash the Console Kingdom, YouTube at TCK podcast at twitter tck podcast zero one and on discord at the console kingdom my name is jared and i am dan please come on back in two weeks for our next episode we're going to discuss video games and mental health thanks again for listening and game on